0: well good morning church this is a a different kind of morning but before i say that just thank you for all of you who watched and downloaded the um, christmas eve service it was watched and shared quite a bit and it was meant to be since it comes from science and from scripture uh, physics and faith and the way that that all works on a christmas eve I knew it would be different, but I'm very glad it was so well-received, and thank you for... It's still on. People ask almost every week, are these things recorded? They still ask, yes. Uh, You can watch now, and you can watch later, and that's the way it's always going to be. We're not going to put up a paywall. Uh, We're not going to restrict the flow of Jesus any way we can. Tomorrow, I'll be going to visit with men and a men's group in Cookville, Please remember, if you've got a group, a Bible study group, a house church, anything like that, that you would like for me to come visit, fire off an email to patrick at rsafeharbor.com and we will do our best to get there. And if it's somewhere completely horrible, I'll send someone, (laughs) but we we will find a way to get to you and check in. If you've not checked in online, uh, if you're watching on a device, you can do that. Jesus said when he talked about the people who were saved and the ones that were welcomed into heaven, that one of the lines that God will use is, I was in prison and you visited me. Well, I've been in visiting uh, jails and prisons in my life, not a great deal, but enough to know them fairly well, but hadn't been in some time. For well over a year now, I've been a spiritual advisor to a man on death row named Bobby. Bobby Hampton. Some of us here have seen a video of him singing to us. Some of us here have seen his picture from time to time. And a few of you have even emailed him back and forth. Now that's something which is tightly controlled, so I'm not inviting others to do that. There, are, There's a procedure and there's a cost involved, uh, a monetary cost involved in this as well but because of Tammy and Ramona Matthews and their work with various prisons and and their passion for this, when we heard about it, we said, we want in, what do we do? And I was made the spiritual advisor for Bobby. Now, every prisoner is allowed to have one, but nobody, no spiritual advisor can be an advisor to more than one. That's just another way of keeping the control of the population. You don't get an outsider that develops a mini group within the group. There's so many rules. He has been on death row for a long time, and Bobby and I communicate, some by email, but mainly by phone calls because Bobby prefers phone calls, and I can't get him to not prefer phone calls. And that, that is something we go back and forth about all the time, and he just laughs, and, and that's fine with me. I can't call him, but he can call me. Almost two dozen people in the Louisiana State Penitentiary get our notes, I believe it was 22 or 23 last time that I got the number. And they share these. Every week they study. A lot of people find Jesus in prisons. And I know that for some of you whose only experience of prisons is watching some television that you may think that, well, that's just you know fake to let them get out. A lot of these men aren't getting out and they know that. But once inside, they realize they've got to find something else. They've got to find something, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because this isn't my sermon. It really is Bobby's sermon. Ministers can get down and tired and worn out just like anybody else, and one day I had just returned to this area from doing some pretty tough work with law enforcement officers up north, and I told Cammie it was the hardest two weeks that I can remember in my career. And that I was coming home, my batteries were low and the needle was in the red. I had to go off to the store to get something. So as I'm driving there, the phone rings. The weather is dark and cold. I'm set in the mood here of gloom and doom and depression. And that's pretty much where I lived at that moment. <laughs> and, and the phone rings. And, and I answered, hands free, of course. Uh, and it, it was Bobby. Uh, You know, it's Bobby because you get this recording, which is the most annoying recording in the world for the first two minutes to uh, Try to sell you products and tell you you're talking to a prisoner But then Bobby comes on and Bobby every time I hit the button to accept the call I hey, I hear hey there man of God. He's just he's so excited and I'll go hi Bobby And he'll say how you doing? He'll go. I'm blessed. I'm blessed every single time well Bobby sensed pretty early on in conversation, I didn't have any energy. And so he started talking to me about Mark 5. It wasn't long before I realized, I'm I'm being preached to at something. And second realization, this is good. Now, as driving, I couldn't take notes, but we talked and we talked until the either the time ran out or a cell cut out, but then we we're off. And I know he's not gonna be able to call right back. There are a limited number of calls that one can do as well. Well, recently I got to go to death row and go past all those, and a couple of you have had that experience here recently. And it's a, it's a different world, when you, especially in Louisiana, because in Louisiana, the entire town of Angola is behind the wire. And there are huge cattle fields. And you have prisoners taking care of the cattle. And you rustle, you know, they're wrangling. They're not rustling because they're in a wire. But wrangling or doing cattle things to cattle. Uh, you can tell I'm, I'm, I'm super knowledgeable about these things. But they also make things. And it's, it's a massive place. There are almost 7,000 men incarcerated behind that wire. Well, I sat down with Bobby. We got a three-hour visit, which is very cool. And I I said, Bobby, I told him before I came, I said, one of the things I want you to do is tell me that sermon again, because I want to write it down. I want to have your sermon, and I want to preach it. He can't. He cannot engage with us via video, except for 30-second videos at a time. So this is Bobby's sermon, and this is not mine. Being human, I may get a data point or a number wrong here or there. He and I have sent the notes back and forth to each other. But the way it happens, if I make any mistakes, that they're all on me. Our passage, his passage, was what was just read. Mark 5, 1 through 20. Bobby was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. His childhood, childhood was, in a word, horrific. I won't go over all of it. I've read the briefs the lawyers filed. I've read the psychiatrist reports. He said he had some he could have the lawyer send me. And the lawyer evidently owns a copier and has lots of time. Because I got a lot. And I went through every word of it. His, um, Bobby's father was murdered in 1969 when his mother was pregnant with Bobby. As she stood by... Her dying husband, he'd been, he was shot. And they knew he was going to die. She wept and she said, how can I take care of, of these kids? We have five kids. And he said, you have six. And he died. She didn't know she was pregnant. Bobby thinks God just let his dad know just at the last minute and let her know. Whatever it is, that's the world into which Bobby was born. Poverty and abuse were all he knew. And again, you read all the reports and it's, it's ugly stuff. It's all he knew. Little wonder then that he'd get into trouble. He ran with the gangs. He was raised by the street. Bobby says the phrase in Mark 5.3 applies to him. He said, no man was able to tame him he said, that was my life. I was that man and the Gadarene demoniac. I I was him. No man could tame me. To illustrate the reality of that phrase, I got permission to give you this information. The first time he was incarcerated, he was 13 years old. He remained in custody until he was 20. Released, he was jailed again at 21. Released, jailed again while still 21. he remained inside until he was 23. he was arrested again when he was still 23 and he's been inside on death row since then he is now 53. he has been on death row more than half of his life we will not discuss his case by the way if anybody wants to know more about it we we just don't Um, and that's because we protect his privacy and also because we're working with Bobby we're not trying to figure out all of the law we're not trying to do that we're working with these people as people all right and so just let you know if you're curious we're not gonna we're not gonna satisfy that at all I have a an eight-year-old granddaughter whose heart is as big as she is and when she found out that I'd gone to death row she had many questions And as she talked and talked to me, and how long has he been in prison? And I told her and her eyes got real big and she said, why? And I said, well, because that's what the law said. And she was asking, what did he do? And I said, no, we don't talk about that. I said, but what, you think all these years, 20 plus years is too long? She goes, yes. I said, what would you suggest? And she said, I think he should be put in a room for five minutes to think about what he did. (laughs) I wish the world was run by my eight-year-old granddaughter. I really do. And that we all had her attitude. Well, Bobby Tink talks very frankly about his identification with the demon-possessed man in Mark 5. He says that's his story. And he points out a phrase in Mark 5, uh, 5 and verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Bobby said he spent his life crying out. And here's a quote. He said, I walked proud, but cried when alone. And I stopped him and I said, Bobby, I think that's true of a lot of us. That when you can see us, we walk proud, but we cry alone. And we started talking about that, about how people are in pain, how cutting Is epidemic among our preteens and our teens. And those of you that have led more sheltered lives and don't know it, literally cutting themselves, sometimes micro cuts, micro scars, all up and down, so they can feel something. It's an epidemic. People live in fear. We are pushed fear constantly by the commercials and by the news people. People are terrified. For the first time since the Great Depression, more 18 through 29-year-olds live at home than in their own place. They're not even leaving because they can't, or they're afraid to, or the world is just too uncertain. They, too, walk proud in the day. And their faces on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok are very positive and such. But when the lights go out, have you noticed the number of social influencers who have died in the last few months? They are dying at the rate of several a day, many of them by their own hand, many of them because they've just given up. They, too, are prisoners. They're prisoners of their possessions. They are harassed. They are demon-chased. They are fearful. They, too, walk proud but cry in the dark. Bobby said that he had suicidal thoughts back in those years. Most prisoners do. He told me that every prisoner he knows has had the thought and many he has seen carry through the act in fact this may shock many of you but now post-covid the studies have shown that 70 percent of the population has had suicidal thoughts many of them quickly dismissed but 70 percent and in some communities suicide has now more than doubled from two years ago. We're talking communities of 13 to 17 year olds and 18 to 25 year olds, and 65 to 80 year olds. Suicides more than doubled. What's what's going on? Well, I can just tell you this. When I go and work with police, sometimes they will do, if it's an annual thing, uh, not for me, but for them, it's an annual meeting, it's, Sometimes they will do to start everything a, a list of those who have been shot, wounded, killed, and those who took their own life in that community. In Chicago, we've just now closed out the year. Seven police officers committed suicide this last year, at three in one week. So, what do you do? Despair is everywhere, and it's certainly all throughout prisons. He learned in time, Bobby said, that the only way to survive was to get two things, hope and a sense of humor. i, I got to respect that level of introspection and insight from somebody who's in a box and who the state says will never leave that box except through death. Bobby said he finally realized That he had failed in every attempt to run from God. And he put it this way. I found out you can't run from an omnipresent God. I said slow down. I'm writing this. In regard to that he said. I'm the, the demon possessed man in Mark 5. He says but I'm also Jonah. And I said tell me about that. He said. The prison is the whale. I'm in the whale. When Jonah was on the ship, he said he thought he was running from God, but when the storm hit, he found out God was already on the ship. Jonah, too, considered suicide and asked people to throw him overboard. He would rather die than go where God wanted him to go. Let that sink in. I immediately thought of Psalm 139, and we shared that where the psalmist says that you've got one arm around me and you've got your other arm on me. And you are steering me and not letting me go where I want to go. Bobby said he knew all about God. We talked quite a lot about the church in which he'd, he'd been raised. As, is, that's really an overstatement. The church they went to when they went to church. And it was, a, it was a super strict church. He even laughed once when we were comparing notes. And he said, did you go to my church? And I said, I think, I, think I, I may have done. He even, however, he told me a very dramatic story of one Sunday when the Crips and the Bloods were both at the church. And none of them wanted anything to do with church. They were just there basically to scope out the other ones and start to fight. But something the preacher had said, he said, I tried all, with everything I had, and I ended up at the altar. And he said, so did a lot of us. That's good. But then the church door shuts, and you've got to go back on the streets. And he got in trouble again. So in 2002, Bobby gave up trying to run from God. Bobby said he, had, he realized that he had to die to himself if he was ever going to live. And you see it in his face. You can hear it in his voice. It's more than genuine. You talk to the correctional officers, and those with rank in the facility. And they will tell you that Bobby is absolutely committed Christian. He's an evangelist. He He never violates any of the rules. And in fact, makes sure that other people get the help they need. And I believe it. I absolutely do. Bobby said that if anybody is driven, and this is about you now, all of us, If you find that you're driven by your appetites, your passions, your desires, and your fears, you're dead. You're in prison. He said, I said the same for churches. You see, in Revelation 3, John the Revelator tells the church in Sardis that they have the reputation of being alive, but they're dead. You see, we should not equate activity with spirituality. And you read the list of things they do every week. We got this and we got that. And we're going here and we're going there. And yet, are where is the sacrifice? Where is the reaching the world? Where is the, what's missing here? They have activities for themselves. But the spiritual growth is not there. The challenge to live with less and do more with what you have isn't there. It may seem strange or a reach to compare the struggle of a man on death row with the struggle of churches and families, but it's a fair comparison. Churches are dying, and every major newspaper in the U.S. have run series on that fact. They're shutting down. I've watched this happen before. So has Cami. In Scotland, you had a massive church on almost every two blocks Church of Scotland was, or, or Free Church of Scotland, the Free Kirk, or there might be um, an Episcopal church up there. They, they had them everywhere. By the time we were there, they were already riffing off of a book. And if you don't know about this, these were dark times, I guess. In the early 80s in America, there was this huge thing about little comic books, A uh, 100 uses for a dead cat. I didn't do it. In Scotland, they riffed on that, and they were making books 100 uses for a dead church. And that was in 80, 81, 82. It's happening here now. Bobby said the only difference between people out there and the people in here is geography. We're all prisoners. We're all prisoners unless we realize we are, and we got to fight our way out with God. Whether you're in prison because of bars, stained glass windows, abuse, drugs, whatever it is. You need to know that the coming of Christ means you don't have to stay there. You have options now. Just as Bobby has options. Bobby continues to trust in God. He said, when things get dark, I hear God say, don't deny the process. And I said, what do you think that means? So Bobby told me the story of a man who raised silk worms for to make the silk and he took his young son in to teach him the trade and they see all of these little cocoons and after a while you see the struggle in the cocoons and the little boy got concerned about well this one looks like it's struggling along it's the last one shouldn't we help it somehow and his dad said if you help him he will die the struggle You cannot survive without the struggle. And so when I talk to Bobby, he says, where I am right now is God's process. He even, again, he says, this is my struggle and God knows I cannot survive if I don't go through this. And what do you say to that? What do you say? I think of the tragedy that many of us have seen. We might even be caught in. And that is the tragedy of getting everything you'd want. There were some rich kids in my high school, and I didn't have a high school. I had high schools because we always moved. But you could always spot the rich ones, right? You know, everybody else is coming on the old, you know, clapped-out bus, and here's somebody coming on. If it's America, it was always a, a Trans Am or a Camaro, because although they were made horribly and fell apart, they were still expensive. So. Yeah, they'd arrive up in that they'd always had everything they wanted, and they weren't the kind of people you'd want to be. You wanted their life, but you didn't want to be them. Well, the thing is, if, if you don't struggle, if you always go to the back of the book in your algebra and fill out the answers, you don't get the gift of knowing how to do this. The struggle. The struggle is real and it's necessary. Taking the easy road makes for crooked rivers and crooked trees. We need to be challenged. We need to be able to hear the word no. It's a hard word. When you see sports stars, you see um, people uh, who are stars in movies, people have more money than they know what to do with. And who nobody's ever told them no. That's why they go off the rails. They haven't learned the word no. As Bobby, when I asked him about where he was in a struggle, he said, there's a difference between wanting to go home and being ready to go home. He feels that he still needs to struggle and that God will let him know when it's time. Scripture tells us that those who God loves, he chastens or disciplines. Do you remember uh, what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus? Isn't it getting hard to kick against my goad? Bobby then, after talking about that, he said, quote, They sent me here to kill me, but it ended up saving me. Like Jonah and the whale, what was meant to kill me only took me to the place I was meant to be all along. And I said, Angola? He said, no, in service of God, where God needs me. So I said, Bobby, I'm going to preach your sermon, but I can't take credit for it. That's why it's up there. That's why we've done it. I want you to know this comes from his heart. Now, during this time, I shared my story with Bobby. We had, we've done this before on the phone. Uh, It seemed like we were raised in the same church, the same unending list of rules and constant fear of failure. And I told him that all my life, and and this is not a secret, all my life, I've tried not to be a minister. I'm I'm a scientist. I didn't go to school for any of this. Some of you are out there going, it shows. I get it. Fair enough. Fine. I I have no issue with that. And that it was leading something like this, which came out of nowhere. And then God just went and is covering the earth made me feel inadequate and bobby's response was this quote god trusted you with your scars let that sink in for a little bit here i am a man with more degrees than a thermometer and i've traveled my entire life from place to place certain i was not qualified to do what god kept calling me to do and bobby put it into focus and distilled it in one sentence god trusted you with your scars I tried to remind him that I was his spiritual advisor, that he was not mine and he just laughed and I laughed too. The rest of this month we're going to look at the messy lives of people that God chose, even when they ran from him. We encourage you to make only a few New Year's resolutions and I don't really care about your weight. I don't really care if you go to the gym or not I will, if you go to the gym, don't even say hi from me. They don't know me there. (laughs) But resolve to do this. Love God and love others. Don't run from him. Make your hands, your feet, your wallet, your life, your house available to him. And say, what do you want done? Because geography is not your destiny. Your destiny... Your meaning is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Believe it. Live it. You see, because no matter where you are, you need Jesus to be free. And if you are in Christ, you are free. Mirette, would you come on up? I'll just close with this God trusts you with your scars, and you can trust Him with your scars. Be free in Christ.